Hi guys, welcome back to the Thinking Wealth podcast. So last week we had Aaron Lohaya, uh, which was a great episode. Uh, and this week we have now got Grant Robe. Uh, I don't know Grant particularly well, but we mix in similar circles online. Uh, his experience and his outlook on life, I think you'll really enjoy. We're going to touch on things in this podcast, which we are looking to develop within the Thinking Wealth Hub. Trusts and equities being potentially one of those things. My uh, own understanding of that is relatively um, sort of low-key at this stage, but I think Grant could potentially shed some more light on that in particular. And we will branch off, no doubt, into numerous other subjects as well. So firstly, Grant, welcome. How are, how are you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, Alex, thank you for, for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really, really well this morning. What's Great afternoon? stuff. Great stuff. Right, Grant, I think we'll kick off then, mate. As ever, um, could you just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself, who you are, what you've done, what you're currently doing? Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. So um, as the, everybody's heard, my name is Grant Robe. I'm based in Surrey. Um, I've mixed between Surrey and Nottingham over the course of my life, should we say. So I lived in Nottingham for 10 years, went to Nottingham Trent University and stayed. Um, I'm a former elite competitive swimmer. So I swam at a national level for, for over 10 years, um, got a national medal to my name, etc. And so that was the biggest part of my life. So when we talk about routines, we talk about discipline, you know, we hear it a lot in the self-development in the entrepreneurial space. I was doing that stuff from the age of 12 years old and I didn't really know what I was doing um, other than, you know, it was part and parcel of my life at that stage. So I went to university. Um, I didn't really ever envisage going to uni for the, the prospect of coming out into a job and a career. Um, it was more to actually get away from home. So that independency, I was uh, one of those students that I said bye to mum and dad on the door um, and said, like, you're not coming with me. I'll see you when I see you. Um, so it was a very, very independent kind of, and I, I took that from swimming. Um, I studied planning and property development at um, university. Um, I didn't finish the degree. I actually changed halfway through, moved on to a business degree, finished that. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get a first class, but it, I'd be lying if I said I was an academic. I just followed the, the system and the plan. And I think that that will tie into a lot of what we talk about today in terms of how you do what you do, because I'm not the smartest of individuals, but I just looked at the grading criteria and went, cool, that's what you want me to write to get first. So that's what I did. Um, and simplicity is quite a big thing with, with me and what I do. When I graduated, I moved into sales. I didn't really do much uh, around uh, that. I, I hopped jobs, ran a swim school because my background was, was in swimming, moved into recruitment, uh, moved into other various forms of sales, and then realized that I just didn't like working for other people. That's when um, I actually I was in recruitment just before I, I left the corporate world. And uh, one of my friends invited me to a Rich Dad Poor Dad seminar. So um, that was kind of my first introduction to property. And 18 months later, I'd quit my job and I was building a, a sourcing and property development business with a business partner. So that was kind of my, my first steps into business. And I did that or started that in 2017. Um, we built that over a couple of years. Um, and then all the while I was coaching, swimming alongside uh, a lot of what I was doing. But then from that stage, um, I kind of went full time in property, as, as many people do. Um, and it, it was good. You know, it was really good. We specialized converting houses into HMOs. 
Um, we took the business up at its, um, at its peak. We turned over 775,000, you know, so we were doing really, really well. And one thing that was really apparent for me, and it kind of made me transition to where I was, is property made me somebody who I didn't want to be. Um, and I think that's really important to understand, as, as you guys well know, property is a fantastic asset class to be involved in, um, but you have to know who you are in order for it to, to really work for you. And, and I didn't know who I was. Uh, when I was in property, I wasn't the swimmer and the athlete that I formerly was, and, and my identity had gone. And something I talk about now massively is your, your self-identity as a man and, and knowing what that looks like. So now uh, I transitioned out of that. I worked with a coach. Um, so I brought the, that business to, to a halt. Uh, me and business partner sep uh, separated ways just after my, uh, or just before rather, my daughter was born uh, back in 2019. Um, and since then, I've been a, a performance coach working with predominantly men. So I specialize in personal development, sort of about mindset, NLP, all of that good stuff. Um, but going back to my swimming days, it's all of the fundamentals that I learned as a, as a teenager competing in high level sport and understanding that we do have time and you are the, the full creator of your reality and getting people to understand that they're in full control of their behaviors. So I now specialize in that. I do high performance coaching. I'm still involved in a lot of property circles, but that's not the, the main facet of what I do. And then more recently, I've started to, to pursue being a, a free man because I think the, the word freedom um, and what we think freedom is, is, is actually not the, the truth behind it. And we're all, we've always been free but we have this proverbial invisible cage over us. Um, and we talk about in entrepreneurship, getting out the rat race, but nobody talks about getting out the cage. Um, and I think that's really, really prominent now. And it's something that's opened my eyes definitely over the last two years with the, the COVID pandemic and um, you know, whatever anybody thinks of, of that. Um, so that's hopefully a, a good short, but um, fairly lengthy explanation around, around me. And hopefully it gives your listeners a good flavor of kind of the, the context and background of what I've been up to. No, that's fantastic. And I think it's important to point out at this stage um, and our members will have a uh, a greater understanding of this already. You've touched on a few points in that uh, that first part from yourself about taking responsibility, about working out who you are. And I think naturally when you go through, I hate using the word journey, but it's, it's the only one that's in my head at the moment. When you go through this journey of maybe setting up your own business, being, being amongst uh, people within property, the property industry in general, you, you get, you can get knee deep into it and go feet first and full steam ahead. And then you quickly realize that there's still this void and there's a lot more to life than just turning out properties and making cash. And I think that goes sort of full circle and it's something that I've experienced and Alex has got sort of, goes on to diff different levels with with all of that the spirituality sort of side of things but yeah from our perspective it sort of allows you to open your eyes your own eyes on yourself and i think the biggest um thing people struggle with is wanting to look in and yeah. wanting to find out um completely agree and i think that yeah just when to you add become to that. brave enough you sort of you work out so much and you actually find out who you are that's that, and that's the prominent point, you know. Building on, on that, you know, we're all accustomed to the the cliche phrase of you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yet nobody's willing to spend just 
time with themselves. You know, they're not willing to sit there and just think about the thoughts that are going around their head and, and face them head on. And I think that for me now, especially for men and, and around masculinity, men are um, scared to question their identity in case they feel as though they're politically incorrect. They're, they're scared to be men. Like, they, they, you know, can't do that because it's violent. Can't do that. It's perceived as aggressive. Can't do that because I'm being um, suppressive towards my other half. And, you know, it's all bullshit. Um, it's just it's. It's one of those where we have to, as you alluded to, like take that time and that step back just to go, okay, let me start to understand me better. Um, take our own counsel. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, we'll probably get into that in even more detail. But no, mate, that was a fantastic introduction. I think um, your, already your life experience is completely tailored to uh, the sort of guest that we want on the podcast. So I'm glad you've come on. Um, what is very interesting, what you mentioned uh, a moment ago is your sporting background again that's something that both me and the other Alex um, have, have got in common with yourself mm-hmm. um, how would you say the your swimming day so to speak and the I mean I haven't done it myself but I know there's an incredible amount of discipline physically especially and even like dietary no doubt mm-hmm. all of that how, how did that impact on you in your early days It's interesting. So early days as an athlete, you don't think of it as any different. It's it's just what you had to do, you know. So at 13 years old, I started morning training. So before school, so I was getting up at 4.30 at 13 years old, you know. So then, you know, when the talk people now about routines and you see, you know, the the 5am club and the 4am, all this other stuff, it's like, I was doing it at like 12 years, 13 years old, you know? And so you take for granted at that point and the early stages because it's just what needs to be done. And because um, at the age of 12 was the first year I qualified for nationals, to be a national level swimmer, you have to be training at that at that level um, a, a good, you know, 12 to 15 hours a week. Um, and that's um, outside of anything else that you, you've got going on. And so you learn a lot about yourself because we talk about time management, we talk about discipline and all these other things. And, and as you know, ultimately as a young teenager, but still very much a child, you have to make decisions. You have to decide am I going to go to parents evening or am I going to go to training? Am I going to go to McDonald's with my friends or am I going to watch what I'm eating? You know, you're like you're consciously aware of all the things you're doing. And at that age, you, you, you don't know what it means in the wider context. You just think it's relevant for your sport. So it influenced a lot. And I think that one of the biggest things that I took from competitive sport and, and now as a father that I guide my daughter to do is, you understand the the side benefits or the the um, other impacts that it brings as you you grow and you look back and you go, I'm so glad that I did that or I was in that environment or I was uh, able to take part in those opportunities. And so now in terms of the structure and the discipline and the things, it's not the mastery of the skill at those ages, it's the commitment. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is competitive sport, whilst the sports is, is good and competing in a, a sport that you love is great, it's looking at what it actually does for you as a human being. You know, the discipline, the commitment to self, the commitment to others. Swimming's an individual sport, but we still had team events that we had to show up for. You know, you didn't want to let people down. I had a huge amount of respect for my coach. And even there was a, 
a blip in my career, should we say, where I, I start to blame my coach for my lack of performance. Um, and even then that makes you reflect because I look back on that now and go, how immature was I, you know, giving away the control of my self-control and putting that on somebody else. So it is phenomenal. Like I, I, I owe a lot to swimming. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's something that I, I mean, none of us are perfect, but it's something I try and live my own life by is that uh, self-responsibility, good and bad, whatever it is, always take it on your own shoulders because, well, it's always stood me in good stead. And it sounds like, again, that's a, a common trait here between ourselves, especially early on. I can imagine that's had some real positive impacts, even, to, like you say, to the point where you're, you're sort of breading it in your own family now as well. So that's fantastic, mate. Let's um, just move it forward into sort of an investment context then, Grant, just for a moment. So you've you've sort of gone through pro- property circles. What what were you doing specifically? What experience have you got uh, in that route? So we are specialised mainly converting houses into HMOs. So we started out as many individuals doing a property journey, or I started out with a bank of mum and dad's, um, you know, we had some inheritance money, some money saved aside, you know, I come from a traditional working class family. So my dad is an extremely hard worker. He still works hard now because that's, you know, it's what he's always done. And so the journey started there, um, started in Nottingham and it actually started, um, off the back of going to these seminars and I guess getting excited, uh, a friend in the, the swimming world was selling a, a second, well, he was moving house and selling it, but he wanted, he had been renting it out in the, the meantime. Um, and uh, he just said to me, you know, you started to get involved in property. Do you want to buy this? And naively, I just said, yeah, okay, cool. And so then went away, spoke to mom and dad, raised the money to do it, et cetera, and got started there. Stayed in Nottingham, um, started to look at HMOs for, for ourselves. You know, So we did a, a uh, couple of uh, five-bed HMOs. We did a seven-bed HMO. Nottingham City Centre's Article 4. It has been since 2012. You know, So went through all the trials and tribulations of working with the councils through those legislations. Took some massive risks. Nearly had a heart attack. Like all of these things. right? So it built up from there. Uh, I met a business partner halfway through developing a seven-bed HMO. Um, and then we... We found that we had opposing skill sets and we thought that would be good to, to kind of complement each other. So then we we joined forces and started to do it together. And then we got involved um, in or with a company called Sourcing Investments. And basically we got introduced through the Rich Dad Poor Dad Network to overseas investors. So then we were building portfolios or helping overseas investors bring money into the UK, set up companies. Um, whilst we weren't in the logistics of setting up the companies, etc., we were just involved and around the process. And then we just, we, we were their hands on the ground, you know, so we were the project management, we did the sourcing, we did the, the running of the deal, um, and then the handover to lettings at the end, whether that was a, you know, a short-term whole HMO let to a, you know, maybe a, um, a care company or assisted living or something like that, or, you know, it was professional tenants. Um, and so we did that from 2017, or the, the end of 2016, early 2017, right through till um, the middle of 2019. Um, to, together and then we parted ways kind of uh, April, May uh, 2019 and then I continued to do that for another year, just over a year on my own um, down here in Croydon because I moved back at this stage um, and then brought kind of all of that to a close at, um, at the start of lockdown, start of lockdown one um, but over the course of that period we were involved in I think it was 
I can't remember what I was talking about here, it was over 40. So we did over 40 conversions in that time period. So we were very busy. Um, our peak was we had, we had 15 live sites all over the country. So that was very interesting to, to run that. Um, and say so we were turning over about 775,000 at the peak. So it was good. Good. It was really good, um, but it came to an end. Unfortunately, it went a little bit sour, and um, that was kind of the close of the, the property piece for me. But um, houses to HMOs is, is what we did, and and I'd like to think we did it well. Great stuff. Now that's that's really uh, really useful to know, and I think um, the members and the the the, the wider the wider subscribers to our YouTube channel would really appreciate that. So yeah, thanks for delving into that, mate. It's um, from our experience. It certainly isn't for the faint-hearted. I know you go into most new things with a certain level of naivety, but I think property is particularly one of those things that really stands out when you do actually get into it. it, it and I think as well, just uh, like exactly that, and um, if I can, I'll, I'll share a story on what you said there about it's not for the faint-hearted. So the seven-bed HMO that I was talking about, and I, I did do a video on this whilst I was a very different person back then when I did the video um, on my first experience doing a seven-bed HMO. So the house, it was a HMO existing, but the license had lapsed. It didn't have planning because it was HMO before Article 4 came in. Um, went on the market pretty cheap, and I saw it, and I was like, you know what, I know the area. I've lived down the road. This would be a great student HMO, et cetera, et cetera. Got in contact with the agent, uh, the owner direct, uh, and started this project. Um, unbeknown to me at this stage, because this was the first time of dealing with Article 4, this was the first time in dealing with a lot of the legislation that I then became very, very familiar with, um, I didn't really know the risk profile of what I was getting into. And I think that's a really important thing for the listeners straight away, is um, whilst we we kind of we can take this approach of you know learn as we go and you know just imperfect action and all this other stuff you have to prep yourself for, for what you could be getting yourself into not from the the ramifications of your actions but from the emotional roller coaster that is going to take you through if in your mind you are not strong and resilient right now my from my learns i would say don't put yourself through some of what you know that those property journeys could bring so the reason for that context is going through this process um i was well, developing this hmo um we bought it on a bridge we did a exchange with a delayed completion uh we got access or got granted access up front to start the work and all these other things so like when i say i took the risk to get this done i, I went balls deep day one um and um we started to do the work etc cetera, etc cetera, and then halfway through the refurb i'm about fifty thousand pounds into this refurb and um basically just get keep getting pushed back from the council to say you're not going to get this paperwork through you're not going to get this license you're not we're not going to grant planning um then i've got the bridging company saying that we're not going to release any more funds till you got the paperwork and then my broker saying we're not going to be able to refinance this and i'm here going holy fuck you know like i'm 75 grand or whatever it is tied into this deal already i've got commitments left right and center this delayed um exchange of delayed completion with an access uh, or grant for access is um subject to if we don't complete the property being in the state at which we took the keys over and i'm here having gutted the place and i'm going oh fuck you know like I'm in balls deep. Um, and this is this is important because I'm sure we'll get onto this when I talk about common law. I didn't, whilst I did planning a property development, it had a law module. I didn't fully understand law and I, I didn't fully understand the power of having 
contract knowledge, but also the difference between sovereignty, the difference between legalese, the difference between um, um, what's fraud on a letter and what's not, and all of these other things. And um, I don't know, I don't have evidence to say that this is what saved me, but now knowing what I know, I'm pretty certain it is. In my evidence file to the council, keep I was rebutting all of their paperwork back to me, like, no, you're wrong, here's the evidence, here's the evidence, here's the evidence. Um, and what I didn't know is that was the best thing I could have done. Every time they sent me a letter, I, I wrote back and was like, no, here's the evidence. No, I'm not accepting that, here's the evidence. And then I included three documents that got this entire deal, I believe, over the line, and I didn't know it. And that was three affidavits of truth. And what I didn't know at the time is an affidavit of truth is you saying, this is the absolute truth, and I'm putting it in paper with my signature on it, and I'm putting it in front of you. You have to rebut that and show me evidence that I'm lying. And yeah. if you cannot do that and you cannot put it in writing, this is now law, this is now truthful, and it's how we move forward. And I didn't know that at the time. But now knowing what I know, hands on my uh, hands up and hands on my heart, because my evidence stack was so good, and I topped it off with those three affidavits of truth from the landlord, from the neighbors, uh, from myself, when that went in, they had nowhere to go. They had yeah. to grant that, that uh, permission. And so I think, had that not happened... Uh, I did have a, a panic attack and a breakdown in the middle of Nottingham throughout this entire process. So I may not actually be here had that not got over the line and God knows where, where else I would have been. But I think it's really important that your listeners hear that because that's the importance of understanding one, emotionally what you're going to get yourself into when you go into something like this, but two, also taking the time to understand things like law, legalese, fraud on letters, or what an actual contract is constituted by, how it's deemed... Um, uh, applicable or enforceable and and all these other things because no if I knew what I knew now like I never would have had the panic attack and I never would have been worried because I knew like I would have known how to, to present it so I wanted to share that because it's important that like say if you've got listeners who are early on in their property journey they need to be doing the personal development work whilst they're doing the education around investment it's it's it, yeah that's exactly what we say Grant to, to anybody that's starting out um our hub has five sections uh, so you've got cryptocurrency property uh precious metals and then there's a financial iq and a mindset section and we always say make sure you do the mindset and financial iq sections before you do anything else because without that for all of the reasons you've just given the example you've just given you won't be able to handle it mentally and emotionally and it's so true i mean We've got our own examples numerous times over. You've just shared one there. Um, it really is, really, really is important to make sure you are prepared in that sense before anything else. For sure. So you touched on just a moment ago as well, Grant, that this, I guess, this led, this partnership that you did have with this business partner, led into the business uh, that, that you set up of sourcing properties as well. Was that for the overseas investors that you were sourcing for? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 something else. Another sort of revenue stream um, that people can go down, isn't it? Um, HMOs. It's something we've got a lot of experience in. Um, I'll share very quickly another example 
of a reason why to be um, as emotionally mature as you possibly can be before heading into this. I took on a, a lease option of a property that I converted into uh, a HMO, 14-room HMO myself. It wasn't particularly a plush one. It was more targeted at a sort of lower end of the market. Um, I did all my necessary checks, uh, references, et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up about two months down the line, this guy stopped paying his rent. This is after I've checked that he's actually got work and he's, he's employed. And this guy actually turned out to be a heroin addict. Gosh. Would you believe? And I actually met the guy and he looked relatively clean. Um, he ticked the boxes. He obviously knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, so in the end, I had a 14-room HMO. Uh, the floor that he was living on, um, everybody else left because of all the trouble that he was uh, causing. So, yeah, I mean, that was just headache upon headache. But again, it just emphasises the point that you've just made, that you do have to really set yourself up mentally. There's no question of that. For sure. And it's it's a great vehicle, don't get me wrong. And, and you know, people, um, uh, I think yeah, yourselves included, you can utilize it to create the lifestyle that you want. And it can be a very, very good tool. I think like, personally, I, I, I find it difficult to believe when people say, oh, you know, I'm so passionate about property. No, like my belief is you're passionate about the fact that property is a great vehicle to help you do what you want to do. Um, and you just have to, like you've alluded to, be comfortable with what you're going to experience personally, because there's a lot of uncontrollables with that vehicle, like every asset class. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, just to hone in your point, hone in your, your listeners, if they've got the, the access to the mindset stuff, like dive into that and really embrace it. Cause you never know what's going to crop up with something like property or, other, or just life in, in general itself. Um, so the, the more you can sharpen your saw on, uh, on your own emotional intelligence, the better. Absolutely. Right, Grant, let's move forward into the next part, which I think you've just you, you crossed over a little bit there. You're talking about common law and trusts and equity and that sort of thing. I mean, it's I've got a very sort of, uh, basic understanding. I'd be interested to be to maybe reveal or touch on on some of that yeah for sure so i'm not going to advocate to be a, an expert um nor is anything that i say going to be construed as legal advice i'm going to get that in there because Gotta get that in right <laughs> absolutely absolutely um but i think it's, it's a really important topic because it's it's still relatively new to me so i've been researching this and um actioning and implementing what i've been learning for about three months now um yeah. i was really diving into it before that and understanding it and again like for the listeners like sharing transparently this was because inside there was stuff going on out of my control and emotionally i was having to deal with new stuff and so where my um uh, interest in all of this came from is I got so fucked off with feeling the way I was feeling. I was, it was that whole, I'm saving face on the outside and I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on inside. I was at a new level of growth. And so it caused me to then go down some rabbit holes to start asking some questions and actually try to justify to myself why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. So 
I'll, I'll touch very briefly on a couple of topics. And then if you want me to dive into deeper on, on any of them, then just let me know. So the first one is, is you, um, is we are led to believe that we are something that we are not. And so the first, the, the big eye opener for me is, um, is our name and the power of our signature. And I'm going to use uh, the, the pandemic and things like the furlough schemes, uh, the, the Sybil's loans or the bounce back loans, or all these other things, because inflation's at 6%, all the cost of living's just, you know, been uncapped in certain remits. Like we're all about to hear, uh, feel rather the, um, the pressures of what we've been hearing around this. So our name and our signature is the most powerful tool that we have. And one of the biggest concepts that I struggled to get my head around initially is that Money and debt do not exist, right? From a rich dad, poor dad perspective, we've heard that there's good debt and there's bad debt. Well, I'm here to, to kind of contest both of those and go, debt doesn't exist. There is no such thing as debt until you put your pen to paper and you sign the paperwork. It's called a promissory note. And some people may have heard this if you start to talk about um uh, partnership programs for fractional banking and all this other, you know, black market behind the scenes stuff we're not supposed to know about that the banks do with our proverbial or perceived fake money. But when you understand that, you know, there is no money until you sign a piece of paper, there's actually nothing to ever worry about when it comes to money. But we're never taught that. So that, that was the first eye opener for me is that actually I'm in control of all of the money that I'll ever need. Because until I put my pen to paper, money doesn't exist. There is no new money. And if you look at the UK's debt rate or the US debt rate, you know, debt is going up so quickly because people keep signing paper. That's the only reason it keeps going up. Um, then lo and behold, we're supposed to pay interest on the debt that didn't exist before. So where's the interest coming from? You know, like it gets into this, this cycle. Um, and that really opened my eyes. The, the other side to this is then you look at it to say, well, how can signing a piece of paper be where money comes from? And there's various theories on this, and I'm, I'm unconclusive in where I stand with it, but there's a thing called a, a Seska V Trust, and it's something that was set up back in 1666. Um, there were lots of different kings and uh, individuals that, that kind of played a part to this. I'm not going to go into the details behind it, um, but it's said that when we are born as a man or a woman, um, the weight at which we are born... Um, along with our original birth certificate, because we don't actually have a copy of our birth certificate, we have a certified copy, but we never hold the original, because that's copyright of the Crown Court, uh, which is a limited company, not um, just the, the monarchy. Um, so when you start to look at this, it's said that the, our birth weight in gold is put aside for us, and that is our trust. And it increases in value and it's in our family name and, and all these other things. So every time we sign this promissory note or a contract or what we think is a contract, it's said that, you know, we're dipping into that trust and that's where this money is coming from that we, we don't know that it exists. So there's that element that really opened my eyes. And then I was like, well, if that is true, then, then how is all of this going on and how is this all occurring? Um, and it, it goes back to um, then the, the legalese and the language that, that happens. And so if you start to look at um, us as a person or a citizen, that actually means that we're an employee because the United Kingdom is a corporation, it's a company. Um, and so is the UK government, it's a company. 
And when we identify as a citizen or a person, we are affirming that we are a participant within their company. We're virtually an employee. And so, for example, when we do a tax return and we sign an SA-100, if you actually read the SA-100, you are authorizing them to take money off you. If you never sign the SA-100, they can never take money from you. You know, if you request from HMRC the law that says that they are rightfully allowed to collect money from us, you know, without using um, the, the mis um, malicious communications act, like um, pieces that they're not allowed to use with like harm or loss or cause damage or other things, they're not allowed to do it. You know, they're not, they're actually not allowed to take the money from us until we sign a piece of paper. So uh, like, I'll, I'll stop with this rabbit hole here, but I would encourage the listeners to start to look into the power of their signature and what it actually means around money. Because when you start to sign things, you know, like especially in property, you sign mortgages and all the rest of it, um, you're creating that money. You've already like, it's already in existence, but you just don't know it in that sense. So you brought it into existence by signing that contract. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever it might be. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's a real, real eye-opener, hence why, again, that's why we say start with the financial IQ and mindset sections. Um, and it is one massive rabbit hole, which leads to another rabbit hole and another one and another one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, where do we take this? Because this could go, <laughs> this could literally go well, anywhere. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave leave that one there because I think it's important for, for, for people to go and do their own due diligence on that and be familiar with it. But I think that... One thing that's really changed my life now in the way that I see things is um, two, two things. If your listeners can start to see themselves as men and women, so I am a man or I am a woman, I'm not a person, I'm not a, a mister or a missus, um, and all of these other things, you start to, to think about what you're doing and how you do it very differently because um, the laws for a sovereign person, you know, whether you believe in common law or natural law or otherwise, are very different to acts and statutes. An act, an act and a statute cannot be applied to a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. So anything, any act, any statute cannot be applied to a man and woman. So until you say on a piece of paper, yes, my name is, you know, Grant Allen Robe, all in caps letters, and I'm signing this piece of paper, say that is me. Yeah. It's not. It's not so applicable. To jump in, Grant, to use uh, an example of the last two years, when people were sticking a mask over their face because they thought they had to, they didn't, in a nutshell. Absolutely. A mandate is not enforceable until you consent to the mandate. You know, yeah. so, and also if you say, well, uh, are we, are we, what jurisdiction are we operating in? You know, are we in a legal jurisdiction or a lawful jurisdiction? And most people don't know the difference between those two. And so it is, there's lots of research to do here and understand. And then the, the second part to this is understanding that the world operates in shipping lanes. You know, we've all heard the phrases, I'm um, struggling to keep my head above water or citizenship or partnership. You know, all of these things, they are they're water references for a reason. The, the world is operating on shipping lanes, you know, and so it's like when we dock things, you know, why is an iPhone's thing called a docking station? Like, they don't make this stuff up. Um, and so I would really encourage people to understand postal mechanics and understand what it is to use the postal service because the post office was formerly a courtroom. And administrative courts are, no, are, are not really courts. They are just administrative offices. Um, and so you can become what's called a postmaster of your documentation. Um, 
just by using the postal system. And then again, going back to what I was saying about affidavits, all of a sudden, when you're the master of your documentation and people have to prove their claims against you as a man rather than as an entity, people have got nowhere to go, you know? And, and like, hopefully people can feel the way I'm talking about this. It just lifts weights from you to go, holy shit. Yeah. You know, like I can control myself i can conduct myself very differently and i can be at ease with anything that comes my way because i understand who i am as a man and a woman so i think that's a really important thing for people to start to to look into and to research yeah and i think to take this back to what we uh, spoke about at the start of the podcast i think this is why and a lot of people that i've met that have maybe started out in property circles have gone down this path mm-hmm. where Initially, it was all about making cash. And then quite often, these same people in the same circles that were like that person to begin with go off and their mind goes away and because they're naturally inquisitive and they want to know more anyway, they head down the path that you're talking about. And so it becomes less about making a ton of money and more about realising the power within yourself Absolutely. Absolutely. Because so here's, uh, here's an interesting one. We talk about names as well. And like say the power within, if you can understand the difference between you as a man or a woman and the piece of paper with your name on it, all of a sudden, anything with your name on it is no longer applicable. Um, and so like a, a piece of information, say just for relevancy with letters and things, anything that comes in a letter that's in a box. Um, the reason it's in a box is because it doesn't exist on the paper. So typically when you look at a mortgage, they'll have the amount that you're going to be paid in a box. Um, it's, it's because they're not paying it to you. It doesn't exist. That's why it's in a box. It's discounted and it's, it cannot be held up in court as evidence because it's in a box. You know, so if you see things that come in tables on letters and it's got your name in it and you know, let's just say it's a mortgage, like this is your redemption charge, this is your early repayment charge, these are all these other things. It's like they're saying, here's a blank piece of paper for you. You know, so that's liberating. Now, again, there's lots of facets to look at with that. And I encourage people to go and do their research. But again, it's those those liberating feelings to go, hang on a minute. I am a human being, well, not even a human being. I'm a man or a woman. I'm not this fictional name on a piece of paper. So I don't want to get emotionally attached to that. Like, let me control my emotions, understand myself. And then I treat my legal fiction as it's referred to as, as something else. Yeah, and I think something else that's also important to point out here when we're in this line of discussion is the sort of importance of um, being capable to operate in the normal world, so to speak, yeah. and knowing how to operate outside of that as well. Yeah. Um, so setting up a trust, for example, it's not something I've actually done myself personally yet. It will be in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm. But the level of um, security, for want of a better word, that that can provide you and your family forever is massive. And the power of that is, I don't think you can compare it to anything else. So it really does um, move you forward as a person and no doubt gives you unwavering confidence as well. 
Absolutely. And I think like that is, is absolutely right. And so I've just set up a private family trust um, and I'm in the process of moving everything that, that my family owns, not just me, but my family owns into these trusts. And the jurisdiction that I'm setting mine up in comes with layers. So there's like the, the actual um, jurisdiction that, that governs the trusts. Then there's like regional security levels. Then there's actual um, private trusts for you, for yourselves and communities around you. And so there's multiple layers and, and just like you've alluded to there having that security it then means that you again as a legal fiction name are not liable for anything so people want to come after your house they can't people want to come after your car they can't people want to come after whatever they you know they want to get access to they physically can't because it's got nothing to do with you yeah. um and it's like you know topical not topical whether people believe uh, uh, in the agendas or not but if you look at the world economic forums principle around you know 2030 agenda you'll own nothing and be um happy for it whilst what they're saying to us is we're going to own everything and we're going to tell you what you can have if you take a step back and you think about that principle you just have to learn from what they're doing ultimately they want to control everything and a trust allows you to do that because for example, if you set up your name, so I've got Grant Allen Robe Limited, like my name is a limited company because that gives me protection. So now, and again, you know, do your research on this, but now if I get a letter where my full name is in capital letters, they're referring to the limited company that I've incorporated, not me as a person. So like that straight away, nice ease and peace of mind. But I can have that limited company as a trust, uh, as a beneficiary to my trust. So now anything that's owned in that circle, it's got nothing to do with me as a person. You know, you've got to work through all the security measures to gain access to anything. And this is how the elites do what they do. They control everything, but personally, they own nothing. And that's what that agenda is kind of says to me. And kind of what I've learned from that is whilst they're trying to take everything away from us, us on an ownership, all they're seeking to do is control it. The mechanisms are exactly the same for us. And a, tr a trust allows us to control anything and everything that we want. We just have to know how to move it in. Yeah, and I think... Um... What is fantastic to see uh, talking about this subject matter is the amount of people that are getting their hands on this information now. And yeah. um, it's probably probably going to be one of the factors in why uh, the current financial system, for example, may eventually topple down whenever they actually allow that to happen. But yeah. I would imagine the more people that find out about this sort of subject and actually take action about it then i mean they're doing a damn good job of wrecking the financial system that's currently in play anyway but this on top of that with people's um, awareness around it uh yeah it's going to be a fascinating you just mentioned the un 2030 agenda there it's going to be a fascinating uh, next five years or so i, I would suggest it is. And, and I think as well, like going back to knowing yourself and understanding that it, it's why the, I believe is why this stuff has come about, because there's so much questionable um, stuff around our, our identities, you know, and, and I speak a lot about masculinity and, and how feminism and toxic masculinity and all of these things are pushed and promoted and, and kind of mainstream to cause men in particular to doubt themselves and therefore, you know, if we look at infertility in men, it's it's up something outrageous, like 55% in the last 25 years. Um, you've only got to look at that trajectory and go, well, in 25 years time, men will be sterile. 
you know, like it doesn't take a, a genius to see those yeah. numbers. Um, and so then you look at that, you look at the, you know, am I gay, lesbian, trans, you know, questioning myself, like whatever else, like it doesn't matter where you see yourself. All you need to know is you've caused internal confusion and you don't know your identity. You're a man or a woman, you know, like that's, that's where we were naturally and, and kind of how the creator, whatever you believe the creator to be has, has made us. Um, yeah because all that questioning is going on, these agendas are coming through quite easily because where is, you know, well, no, we've seen things like the Canadian convoy and, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in America at the moment and um, Australia and whatever else. But when you start to look at the actual resistance, if you'd rolled the clock back 200 years ago, you know, there would have been fought, like fighting and warriors, you know, Sparta would have unleashed its, its fury kind of thing because men were foot down this is the line don't cross it type individuals and stood up for things we don't do that anymore because we believe that we're going to be politically incorrect and then get trolled by a keyboard warrior like why we're scared of that you know that just shows us where things have gone and why these agendas come into play yeah and it, i think it proves that there's been this clear um strategy from the powers that be to, to do exactly all, you know, all the things that you're describing there to make people feel powerless, whether that's, you know, a man, woman, child, whatever that might be. I watched so, a documentary that was recorded in 1985 that showed you how it took 20 years to manipulate a population. <laughs> you know, so the fact that it was recorded back then, and, and this was one of the elites at the time, um, talking about how to manipulate a population over 20 years, it hasn't just been made up. You know, we are, uh, and you, you touched on very briefly about kind of spiritual journeys and things, you know, we are so uh, low in a vibrative state most of the time that we have no clue about our true potential. We have no idea about it, you know, and I saw a really interesting thing. And again, I like to, to spark people to go and think uh, there was a, a um, breakdown video of how a pyramid would be built in the modern world and the today's JCB type lorries and things carrying what is deemed to be the size of the, the blocks that were used to build the pyramids using that machinery. It would take 25 years to build the, uh, the pyramids. So you're telling me that they had pickaxes and ropes and whatever else. And they created these things. Like I believe personally, I haven't got all the evidence to suggest it, but I'm doing the research that our vibrational level has been suppressed so low that we genuinely do not know the capabilities of our true power. And because of that, we're very, very controllable. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, if we need an example, just look at the last two years. Mm -hmm. I mean, Absolutely. it's just been, it's been crazy. I mean, to just take it back to, to, to what we spoke about a little bit earlier on in the podcast. So, I mean, I've already alluded to it once already. Um, you sort of start out in this investment journey looking to, especially as a man, looking to make money, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think the further you go along that path, you, instead of that being the, the ultimate goal, you just see it as a vehicle and it leads you back to yourself. Um so, I mean, we invest in cryptocurrency, property, precious metals. So if we were doing this maybe 10 years ago, it would be all about the money generated from that, whereas now it's, it is that because there is a, a level of comfort and, and you do get there is a trade-off with that, but it's more the um, what it does for you as a person, the freedom, the time that it affords you. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. And I think as well, people need to decide what money actually means in their life, not means to them, but it actually means in their life because like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they're not the fucking richest people in the world. You don't know who the richest people in the world are. They are the characters that are playing these richest people in the world. You know, you've only got to look at the, the, the Yahoo financial whatevers and see the you know, BlackRock and Vanguard. You can't see the shareholders of that. And they own, I think it's currently 89% of all the PLCs in the world. You know, so you look at that and go, okay, well, if they own you know, 30% or whatever it is of Amazon, well then as well as um, Microsoft and all the rest of it, you know, like we're duped in believing that money is, is these things, but I believe that we're shown people like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, all the rest of it, because the mechanisms that are now available, it makes it like, oh, we could get there, you know, give us 30 years. That could be us. The whole, you know, started in my garage story, blah, blah. Like, isn't it coincidence that all these big tycoons started in their garage? You know, like, did, did somebody just go, you know, we're just going to have the same story for everybody to, to go, you know, inspire everybody to start in their garage kind of thing. But when you look at that, like you said there, you can go so far down a journey and the pursuit of money. And, and I've done a lot of research with men at the moment. Um, out of 650 men that I've surveyed, 83% of them are driven to achieve financial goals and better their financial position. But 79% of them are um, not motivated to achieve other goals in their life. So it's nearly equivalent that they are purposefully and fully driven by money and nothing else. They have no motivation to achieve any other goal. Um, and yet those same people hate what they see in the mirror. They don't really feel very masculine. They've got shit relationships with their wives and they don't know what their purpose is in life. And, and you know, my biggest thing is, well, join the fucking dots. You know, you're pursuing money and everything else in your life is not where you want it to be. So you have to make the decision on you know, what money actually means to you and what you want to do with it. Because the other side, and I think it's a really good catalyst that people need to be aware of as well. Look at the convoy for Canada and that GoFundMe account, you know, 10 million to those truckers, boom, switched off, frozen. And then anybody that contributed more than $25 had their accounts frozen. Like you are not in control of that fiscal system. You are not in control of that money. If the government wants to shut your access off to money, they will shut it off. I know people personally who are not, let's say, um, affluent. They're not... Um, and when I say affluent, um, I mean like what you would class as a high net worth individual, you know, 250K liquid in, the, in their account, you know, 100 grand in assets, all these kinds of things like net or whatever you want to call it. They're not those types of individuals and HMRC and government or the rest of it are shutting down their bank accounts because of their, their views on things, the actions they're taking and because they want them to, to be silenced, you know. So do you want money? And to be a slave to money and the system that is created, going back to what we're saying about signatures and things, or do you want to be free? Do you want to actually live life on your terms, not from the proverbial sense of, you know, I'm on my self-development journey, but actually I don't conform to all of that stuff, you know, and people have to decide how much money actually allows me to do what I need to do. The rest of it is security and protection. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's a, uh... It's a real fascinating conversation. It's something uh, you could talk about all day. It really is. Um, Grant, just with what we've already spoken about during the podcast, and bearing in mind that I think I would, I would suggest the vast majority of our members to date are potentially in the early days of their sort of investment journey. There goes that word again. I can't bear it, but there we go. What three <laughs> bits of 
wisdom advice would you maybe give them to help them starting out? Put you on the spot a bit there, by the way. For sure. I think the biggest thing, I'm going to go from lessons that I learned because um, I think it's important that when we're setting goals or we're looking at what we want from things that we start, you know, from the cliche phrase of start with the end in mind, but probably not the end that they think about when, when they kind of ask that question. So the first bit of advice um, I would, would suggest anybody does is before you get into investment and, and whatever vehicle you're using is have your non-negotiables for yourself up front. So the reason that, that I say that is when I got into property, all I did was work. I worked 7 a.m. till 10 p.m., six or seven days a week. You know, there's photos of me when my daughter was born at, you know, um, houses and things. And I'm sat there with uh, on my computer in the background whilst the family are doing all other things. Like I was that guy. I was fat. I was lethargic, you know, all of this stuff. And this is from a former athlete. So I never had any non-negotiables. So set non-negotiables for yourself, for your health, for intimacy, for just general connection and, and spirituality, um, and, and that actual self-education of whether it's to do with law, legally, sovereignty, whether it's mastering a skill, whatever it might be, like have non-negotiables before you start to prioritize the, the investment journey. Um, because then that that holds you accountable to yourself to say, right, before anything else was in my life, this stuff was important to me. And I'm going to be committed to myself in seeing that through, irrespective of how big the pound signs in my eyes get or how, you know, how much I'm, I'm actually doing to, to generate wealth. So that would be number one. Number two would be um, success is a feeling, not a financial or material result. And always remember that because I've worked with clients in the past where we've set financial goals and they've achieved the financial goals. You know, one of the best was an extra hundred K bottom line in six months. And the conversation we had at the end of that was, how do you feel? And it was like, not how I thought, you yeah. know, that that elative moment never came. So just remember that your success is personal to you and it's a feeling you will feel it here rather than it will be out here and you'll be able to touch it. How com and how common is that, Grant? <laughs> I think I would I wouldn't have to do anything else, you know, to try and generate any form of remuneration or or kind of ex uh, energy exchange, money, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you know, I had a, a penny for every time somebody was was driven by success and it was a material thing. Um, the third and final thing I think um, for me is. Um, for, for men in particular, um, and I'll make it tangible for, for women, um, but for men in particular, a man is at his best when he's creative. And a man's biggest purpose in life is serving a mission bigger than himself. Money is not bigger than you. And um, the pursuit of building a business is not bigger than you. And so I think like start with, again, the mindset that things like property, crypto, whatever it might be, they are just vehicles and they're not bigger than you. So be creative, like really understand yourself. Again, like you've alluded to, your listeners have got access to mindset resources, to financial IQ resources, like do, this, do the hard work on yourself, you know, and, and find out what you're truly driven and compelled to do. And you will only do that by doing that work. And so 
a man needs to be creative. He needs to be purpose-driven and his mission needs to be bigger than himself. So the vehicle is not bigger than the man. Um, for, for ladies, and this is going to be controversial probably for most of them if they're in this space as kind of a driven entrepreneur, is you are the polar opposite to a man. So your energy is very different. And in order to be powerful, you need to be complementary to a man rather than going head to head and conflicting in the same space. And I, I get so much pushback for this, but if you look at women in their entirety, fullest power, embracing their feminine energy, they are not driven by money. They are not driven by business. They are involved in these things. And I'm not saying for a moment that women cannot be, but don't make it all about that because statistically the most unhappy age group bracket demographic whatever you want to call it is 40 to 40 year old um, single mum uh, sorry single women with no kids in high paying positions roles business owners etc that are most unhappy sorry so so the the uh, statistically the most unhappy demographic um i think it's across the us and the uk is women aged 40 to 49 who are unmarried without kids who have really high paying, high stressful roles in society. And the reason for that, I believe, is men have a 24 hour testosterone cycle. Women have a 21 to 40 day menstrual cycle. Their emotional roller coaster, shall we say, is 28 days long on average. Men's is 24 hours. You know, we can get up and get going and drive and serve a mission. Women biologically are not supposed to do that day in, day out. So I think for women, it's like, don't put too much pressure on yourself to compete in this proverbial man space, like love yourself a little bit more and give yourself the time and space, you know, when to, to get a little bit crude and raw with it, but I have I've worked with a lot of female clients. If you've got your period for a week, have a week off, like chill out and relax and have a real easy week, like lean into the feminine energy. And if you do that from day one, then the stress and the pressure becomes so much more manageable. Well, appreciate the, honesty particularly in that last bit um again probably one of the main reasons why uh, i asked you to come on the podcast was for that reason i knew that's what we were going to get um so, yeah thank you mate that was that was really good might be controversial to certain people but it's good it gets people thinking it shakes them out of their comfort zone and you'd hope would make people maybe question themselves and what they're doing so Again, thank you for that. Uh, Grant, we're near enough um, at the hour point, mate. Uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity because I know you've got a lot going on yourself just to tell the listeners where people can get hold of you, um, whether that's social media or emails or whatever you might have. Yeah, for sure. So easiest way to, to follow me on what I do is Instagram. So my handle is Grant Robe UK. Um, my business, shall we say, is Visionary Dads. Um, at the moment, it's a community very similar to what you're building, a monthly subscription. Um, and what I've done is actually I've converted what was my high ticket coaching program into a very uh, low cost monthly membership because of looking at the financial uh, climate now and the stats that I alluded to earlier about being financially driven giving men more access to bettering themselves in a community feel to where they can feel safe and inclusive to talk about all of the politically incorrect stuff, should we say, I think is really important. So visionarydads.co.uk, um, you can follow the Instagram handle. Again, it's just at visionarydads. 
Um, and then also I've just launched a new podcast myself. Um, it's called the uncensored man. And that's also got a rumble channel. So you can just search rumble for, for the uncensored man as well. So they're the best places to, to connect and, and follow my work. Fantastic. Right, Grant, I really appreciate you coming on. I've really enjoyed that. And no doubt the listeners will as well. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, mate.